All right, everybody, welcome to this week's episode of the Aviation Renaissance. We are still at the Farnborough International Air Show. Today's guest is Alon Head, Senior Editor of the Air Current. You're going to hear background noise, airplanes flying overhead, but that's all good. You'll be able to hear our voices. So, Alon, it's good to meet you. Welcome. Well, thank you. It's great to be here. Tell us about yourself. Well, I am an aviation journalist. Uh, I started out uh, as a newspaper reporter and a freelance writer, actually, and got into travel writing. Uh, And, oh, 2004, I think, I went for my first helicopter ride when I was on assignment. They're fun, aren't they? They are fun. I I love helicopters. I thought it was amazing. Uh, You know, started asking the pilot questions. How does this work? I asked him how long does it take to get your license? And he said, <laughs> oh, about four months, which blew my mind because yeah. I was under the impression this was probably, you know, a four-year degree program. Uh, but no, so went home and signed up for lessons and uh, became a helicopter pilot. Ended up doing that professionally for a bit and then fell back into journalism, writing about helicopters. And from there into the wonderful world of electric vertical takeoff and landing aircraft, which I've been covering in depth for oh, probably the past four, four or five years. It's a pretty fascinating industry, isn't it? It's an incredibly fascinating industry. There's right. so much happening in this space, so many interesting people involved, and uh, a very exciting time in aviation. Have you, when you were little, did you know you wanted to go into journalism? Or did you pursue a path and then journalism found you? <laughs> Yeah, no. (laughs) (laughs) No? Journalism was nowhere on the radar. Actually, no, it wasn't because I had had this very strong impression of journalists as, you know, being very outgoing, pushy people, always, you know, driving for the story and thrusting their microphones in people's faces. Right. Kind of like I'm doing to you right now. (laughs) Kind of. (laughs) And that is not my personality at all. Sure. Um, But uh, I went went to university. Uh, ended up dropping out, which did not make my family terribly <laughs> happy. Needed a job, and I was uh, back in my hometown, and uh, very, let's, s- very let's, small town. Let's. Mm-hmm. Uh, where are you from? Oh, I'm from New Mexico. Oh, okay. Yeah, what so. part of New Mexico? Southwest New Mexico. So. Um, okay. What, so <laughs> what <laughs> not, part of Southwest New Mexico? Not really close to anything. Uh, so I grew up uh, in the woods, basically near Silver City, New Mexico. I have been to Silver You've City, been New to Mexico. Silver City. Wow. I have. I was stationed out at Fort Bliss, Texas oh, for okay. five years when I was on the bomb squad. Oh, awesome. And I had to go out to Silver City because Border Patrol had found all, you know, all the mine shafts and everything yeah. that are out there. They'd found an old case of dynamite down in one of those mine shafts. And oh, I had to really? rappel down the mine shaft and blow up the dynamite. So oh. I know exactly where Silver City oh, that's is. That's super cool. Yeah, actually, yeah. Uh, you know, I grew up, uh, you know, in the woods, like I said, you yeah. know, and uh, there's a lot of old mining claims out there. Mm-hmm. So there were old mining shafts like everywhere around when I was, was growing up. And right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I always Sorry. wondered what is down there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, well. so anyways, I'm in Silver City, New Mexico. I needed right. a job and the local newspaper was advertising for a part-time reporter. And the job literally paid so little that no one who was qualified would take it. So they ended up giving it to me, and that was my entry into journalism. This is after you dropped out of university. This was after I dropped out. And then so journalism found you. Journalism found me. So, and uh, it was, uh, I, re- I realized that I didn't have to be this pushy person, um, that I could just be myself and talk to people and ask them questions and learn, uh, you know, about what they were doing and their stories. And I loved that. And uh, yeah, I have really enjoyed 
enjoyed getting to meet so many amazing people and talk to people and, and tell their stories. I would imagine if you had a calmer personality and you're not pushy and, and being very forceful that people are more willing and open to talk to you. I think they absolutely are, and sure. I think that's uh, you know certainly helped me um, in my career. Uh, is uh, and I I certainly respect my sources as well, and you know want to want to be fair to them and tell an accurate story for the audience. And yeah, so that's that's so what I do. <laughs> how long have you been a helicopter pilot? So I started my training in 2004, late 2004, Cool. and uh, kind of went through the whole progression of uh, private instrument commercial CFI, CFII, and worked as a flight instructor for about a year. Um, since, you know, since I kind of fell back into journalism full time, um, I don't fly very much, <laughs> but I get to fly a lot of cool aircraft, so that makes up for it. And I'm, I'm guessing you have definitely flown over the Grand Canyon then. I have, not myself, but um, I actually had a lot of friends who ended up working in the Grand Canyon as tour pilots, and so whenever I was in the area, I was usually able to grab a seat and go on a ride. So what do you think about uh, electric, all electric helicopters? What do you feel about that? Well, um, are we talking all electric helicopters specifically, or EV tolls as a substitute? Helicopters. <laughs> helicopters. Yeah, all electric. Uh, well, so there's the uh, the Tier 1 Engineering is working on the uh, all-electric uh, Robinson R44, cool. which I think is a pretty cool project. Um, I think because helicopters, you know, do require so much power to hover, <laughs> and right. hovering is what helicopters do best, right. uh, it's going to be very hard to electrify them as helicopters, you know, in the near future. But I do know, like, a lot of companies are working on hybrid helicopter ideas. So, sure. you know, Airbus and Leonardo, who are both at the show here, um, have both been kind of exploring hybrid hybrid helicopter concepts. So you're more more the eVTOL makes more sense and, and we can reach that sooner than... Well, for specific applications, and I think it's so interesting you mentioned the Grand Canyon because I've long thought that eVTOLs would be perfect for tour flights in these sensitive natural sure. environments because, you know, helicopters, they're amazing. I love them. They're incredible machines. I love to fly them. But they are noisy. Incredibly <laughs> Incredibly loud. noisy. Yeah. So even when I'm around a helicopter or, uh, you know, it's, I, I can't help but think, wow, this thing is so noisy. Um, but if you have, like, a nice, quiet eVTOL aircraft, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's no emissions, little noise, flying people around places like the Grand Canyon, I think that would be a fantastic experience for the people in the aircraft and the people in the Grand Canyon. You know, that's an interesting point that you bring up because most people are looking at, like, advanced air mobility, urban air mobility, you know, cutting down on the cars on the road, and, and we're using eVTOLs in an in, in a urban setting. You know, so you can get across Los Angeles faster in an Evitol than you could driving. But I never really gave it much thought to like the tourism industry. That's that's an interesting. Yeah, I th I, I'm I would be a big fan of, of doing a tour flight in an Evitol, and I think there's been so much focus on that air taxi use case because that's the sexy story to tell investors sure. because there's such a huge potential market. But but, uh, you know, the helicopter tourism market is significant, and I think that if you had a quieter, cleaner aircraft, you could really grow that market significantly. So I hope we see some eVTOLs over the Grand Canyon. Yeah, or out in Hawaii. Or out, especially out you in know. Hawaii. And, you know, so many of these, these helicopter tour businesses have 
huge problems with community acceptance because of the noise and Hawaii being, you know, very, very, very pertinent example of that. So, right. And then you can island hop from island to island in an Evital and then tourism. And that's a, yeah. yeah, I never and, thought about that. And this line of thinking is influenced by the fact that I live in Belize. Oh, sure. <laughs> yeah, you do. Where, Tell us about it. Where there's, you know, lots of islands to hop to. So I've lived down there since uh, late 2019. Uh, so my boyfriend is uh, the director of operations for Astrum Helicopters, which is oh. Belize's only helicopter company. And he certainly flies lots of people, uh, you know, between islands and out to resorts. And uh, yes, we think an eVTOL would be really cool down in Belize. What, what, uh, San Pedro, right? Isn't that the um, island from the famous Madonna song? Uh, yes, that's a, that's a big touristy destination. <laughs> so unfortunately, we live in Belize City, which is not quite as glamorous. But we get out to San Pedro to visit I think you <laughs> say unfortunately, but I think a lot of people would uh, find you very fortunate to live in such a beautiful place. Uh, I certainly feel fortunate to, to live in such a beautiful place. Cool. So what do you think about the show so far here at Farnborough? Well, the show has been fantastic for me. Um, I have to say I haven't gotten to see as much of the show floor itself and the aircraft itself as I would like um, because I've spent all my time catching up with people, which is awesome to <laughs> see so many people again, many after you know a few years, right. um, and having really great conversations um, about all the exciting things that are happening in aerospace. Yeah, there's several Evital companies here that have done unveilings of their, their concepts and their, their bodies and partnerships and whatnot. It seems like it's a, a big thing this year. Absolutely. It's a very, very big thing, a big theme of the show. Um, but I will say it's interesting to see who's here and who's not here. So, um, you know, you have a big presence from some companies, Lilium, uh, mm -hmm. Supernal, uh, you know, Eve, Whisk, um, you know, and of course, Vertical Aerospace, which right. is kind of the hometown player. Right. Um, they're all out in force. Um, some other companies, uh, which I think are, you know, kind of deep in the testing phase, uh, maybe uh, didn't uh, didn't take the time to come out here this year. But I imagine we'll see them in two years at the next Farnborough. You don't think we'll see them next year in Paris? We might. We, we might. might. It depends where they are in the certification process and how many people they can uh, divert from that. <laughs> right. So, um I just had a question, and I lost it. Where do you see, how, how quickly do you see Evitals coming into a, from a prototype, prototype phase that we're in right now to actual certification from either FAA or EASA or whatever governing regulator is, uh, when do you think it'll be? Wow, that's the million-dollar question. It is. <laughs> or the, the billion-dollar question. Billion. Yeah. <laughs> so... Uh, I think uh, the, the most optimistic uh, companies and the leading companies, you know, are targeting 2024, 2025. Um, I hope they make it. Uh, you know, certification is a, a fraught uh, process and with a, with a lot of unknowns. Uh, so we'll, we'll see how that, that proceeds. But I can only imagine the certification process. I mean, I, I work for electric power systems and we do powertrains and, and we're currently in the certification process with the FAA and, and we do the energy storage solutions. So I can only imagine the headaches and the <laughs> bureaucracies and red tapes and things that you got to get to th for an entire aircraft. 
Well, and I just had a fantastic conversation with your leadership about the certification process. Right. And, you know, one of the things that's so interesting, I think, about the certification process is, whereas with traditional aircraft, like helicopters, like airplanes, you have a path and regulations that have been defined for many years. Right. And they're very clear and explicit. This is what you have to do to certify your aircraft. Uh, in this world of electric aircraft, these are new technologies, and so we're still defining the standards and the safety requirements for these technologies. So it's a process not just of certifying to the rules, but to writing the rules in the first place. And that's, uh, that's a really complicated process that involves a lot of back and forth and exchange between the regulators and the industry and you know, uh, companies like uh, electric power systems. Yeah, w we have also noticed, though, that when you're doing these regulations into areas that are never done before, like electric aviation, we've found that the regulators are just as excited and, and willing to work partnership hand in hand about creating these new regulations. I think there's a huge amount of enthusiasm and a lot of support, uh, you know, coming from the regulators. And I think that that's one thing that's been exciting about, you know, this industry is it's really effectively, you know, mobilized all of these different government agencies and regulators, you know, working towards this common goal, uh, which is which is not something that you've seen, say, <laughs> on the helicopter sure. side of the industry, you know. I, uh, coming from that helicopter side of the industry, I mean, like, there's... Uh, been very, very slow progress on a lot of fronts and not a lot of, you know, kind of cohesive organization to drive improvements and standards forward. So to see, uh, you know, the, the level of mobilization on the electric flight side of things, that's, that's very, very interesting and encouraging. I think uh, the aerospace group as a whole, as a collective, is really pushing towards this for environmental reasons and environmental aspects. Well, that has been another huge theme of Farnborough is sustainability. Right. <laughs> I, think, I think sustainability has factored into basically every panel presentation and every announcement and every press release. I mean, it's, it's a huge and inescapable theme of the show. And so there's a lot of interest in alternative propulsion technologies, you know, whether that's electric or hydrogen, uh, a lot of research going into these areas and a lot of funding too. So, you know, there's a lot of, you know, emerging climate funds out there and investors who are interested in investing in some of these newer, more sustainable technologies. I think it's, uh, it's a good thing because, as we know, avgas, aviation fuel, it, it still has low lead levels in it, and that's not really good for us. No, and I say that as someone <laughs> who flies a helicopter. <laughs> yeah, you know, especially like in training, I flew sure. Robinson helicopters, and yeah, I spilled a lot of uh, hundred low lead over myself in the process. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think uh, you know, there's there's a lot of interest, especially like in those smaller aircraft and training aircraft, and you know, I think you're you're seeing those at the show. Yep. Uh, I think there's a pipistrel here at the show, an all electric pipistrel. Um, as you know, these are really you know ideal aircraft to electrify. So. Sure, and I think that the the general public is a lot more accepting of it now. Um, small regional airports don't want to the, the community around don't want them turned into bigger airports because of the noise and the jets and the you know the the noise from the jets coming through and everything. But electric kind of solves that problem. 
Um, to a large extent, and I mean that's the hope of the industry is right. you know you have these these newer, quieter, cleaner technologies, and um, whereas aviation has been you know especially outside of commercial aviation, it's kind of been a very elite thing that you know only a small number of people can engage in. You know, really the vision of this industry is well, you know, if we have these these aircraft that aren't as obnoxious as say helicopters, uh, then we can really expand it and be welcomed in the communities. Um, as opposed to, <laughs> you know, being despised. Well, it also reduces the cost, you know, of, of producing the aircraft, of maintaining it, and in turn you can pass that on to the end user, you know, and it makes flight accessible to the masses. Exactly. So a phrase you hear a lot from these companies is, you know, the democratization of aviation, right. uh, which I think is the ultimate goal for a lot of these companies is, is being able to, to bring that experience of, you know, say, flying, you know, between these smaller airports or within a city, you know, taking you know, um, an, an experience equivalent to a helicopter today and the convenience and, and just the cool factor of that right. and being able to offer that to more people in a way that hopefully does not destroy the, the environment and the earth while we're at it. Right. And, I, and we, we have talked about this on our show before, and I think a lot of people in, in the Western world take aviation for granted. I mean, 7 billion people on this planet and only 20% have flown. It seems like it's only for the rich. I am definitely not a rich person, but I don't know how many airplanes I've been on. But I spent a lot of time in the Middle East, and I'm talking to people there, and they're like, I'm 75 years old. I've never been on an airplane. I've never left the little town that I'm in. You know, I think that really gets to the the whole sustainability question. And I had a, a really fascinating conversation at a, a reception this week with a uh, another journalist who's who's not an aviation journalist, um, but uh, you know, kind of mainstream uh, newspaper reporter. And you know, I think the aviation industry, because we love flying so much and we love aviation so much, we lose sight of the fact that you know not everyone benefits from aviation. Right. And and, you know, in the case uh, that there is a lot of pushback on the, the climate impact of aviation. And so this reporter, you know, his organization has a policy of flying as little as possible because of the environmental impact. And he was saying, you know, he, he, he you know, really hopes that this, this kind of new age of clean electric aircraft comes to pass um, because, you know, he would love to be able to fly more without that, that guilt associated with it. And so, you know, being able to actually reduce aviation's climate impact and extend its benefits to more people, I think that's going to be key to the industry's, you know, long-term success. I agree. I couldn't agree more. And it, it opens up access to rural communities like Silver City. Exactly. Instead of <laughs> hopping in your car and having to drive, you know, hours to Las Cruces... <laughs> Oh, I have to go to El Paso or Albuquerque or Tucson if I want to catch a flight to the rest of the world. Or (laughs) not even a flight, just an emergency, something. Or go to the mall. (laughs) Right, go to the mall, go shopping, whatever, emergent medical Mm -hmm. care. Exactly. So So I'm going to shift gears here a little bit. Sure. So we've talked all about this. I want to know about the scariest incident you've ever had in a helicopter while you were flying it. Oh, while I was flying it? Yes, while you were flying it. You know, I am 
proud and grateful for the fact that I haven't had any too scary experiences. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. Um, now, maybe I've had some scary experiences with other people flying. <laughs> <laughs> it's because you're not in control. That's why it's scary, right? It, it absolutely is. So, you know, I think pilots, you know, always want to be in control. And uh, I, I couldn't speak for, for the scariest experiences <laughs> that my passengers have had in helicopter. <laughs> it would be a different question. <laughs> would be a different question. <laughs> oh, no, actually, yeah, I can, I can think of uh, something. So um, early, early in my flight career, um, I think I had just, oh, just gone maybe my, maybe my commercial license at that point. So, you know, as a low-time pilot, I think, I don't know, maybe somewhere close to like 150 hours. And I was taking my sister for her very first helicopter flight in a little Robinson R-22 helicopter. Sure. And she was, uh, she was 16, I think, somewhere around there at the time. And I, you know, I was so excited to be taking my sister for a flight, and I diligently, you know, planned everything. I was going to, I was living in Phoenix at the time, and I was going to, uh, you know, take her for a little cruise out over the Superstition Mountains, which are very beautiful, sure. very scenic. And I uh, just kind of show her the area and, you know, did all of my weather planning. The weather was forecast to be beautiful. The winds were supposed to be calm. And uh, morning dawn, we were getting ready to take off. And again, forecast looked great. But there was one little worrisome pilot report that, uh, yeah, the winds at altitude were pretty, pretty high. And got up, got up, started heading towards the mountains. Noticed I had a bit of a headwind. Uh, got over the mountains and incredible turbulence, which is not what you want to be in in a small Robinson two-bladed R-22 helicopter. Sure. And yes, <laughs> that, that was perhaps the most uncomfortable I've ever been in a helicopter. But We were headed back to, we're staying in London, and our director of product for Europe, his name is Luke, he's a helicopter pilot as well, and he was talking about the R-22, and I'm thinking if I can remember this correctly, that if you can take all of the, I'm probably going to butcher this because I've never flown, but he was talking about that if you can fly that manually with, with no assist, you can pretty much fly anything because it's a very difficult helicopter to fly. I'm going to go with that, yeah. Yeah, do you agree with that statement? <laughs> well, yeah, let, 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 let's, let's say. I, um, I mean, that's certainly something that's, that, that's said, said quite a bit. And, and it's worked for me um, because in my you know, subsequent career as an aviation journalist, one of the best things I get to do is pilot reports where I get to, to fly and experience a lot of different aircraft. And so now I've flown, I think, over 30 different types of helicopters. You 30 know, different. And, Have you ever flown a French A-Star? Oh, yes. Oh, those are fun. <laughs> They're great helicopters. They're pretty fast. Yeah. Any Chinook? Have you flown a Chinook? Um, I have. I've flown wow. the, uh, the Columbia Model 234. So mm -hmm. that's, you know, the civilian version of the Chinook. Right. And I did a really great story. I think this was probably back around the 2011 time frame where I went through their entire co-pilot training course, mm -hmm. uh, you know, to learn how to fly the, the Model 234 and then got to go out with them for a week on a power line construction job. Okay. In Nebraska. <laughs> so not the most glamorous location, but I uh, mean, <laughs> I think people from Nebraska might disagree with oh, you. Maybe, maybe <laughs> they would. <laughs> um, but yeah, a big uh, tornado windstorm had blown down a power line, so we sure. were rebuilding that. And uh, yeah, I got to, to fly on the job as an employee of Columbia Helicopters for, for about a week. That's pretty great. That was fun. What helicopter do you want to fly that you haven't flown? 
Oh, the one I most want to fly probably is uh, the Sikorsky Raider, the uh, you know coaxial one that they're developing for the for the Army's uh, yeah. future attack reconnaissance aircraft. Yeah, I think that, that would be cool. Neat. Yeah, so I I keep nagging them. I think it would be a great story. <laughs> keep on it. So. We're getting about to be done with our time here now, and I like to always give the last few minutes to our guests to kind of just sum up their thoughts and feelings on electric aviation and, and the advancement of what this is trying to happen and, and how we're trying to make this happen. Well, I am sure this probably isn't the first time you've heard it, but it is such an exciting time in aviation right now. and. You know, what I love about my job, which, you know, again, is, is just talking to people and, and, you know, learning from them and telling their stories, is there are so many brilliant, creative, incredible people working in this space right now. And so, you know, and they're working on really hard problems and amazing challenges. A lot of them are motivated by passion and, you know, by the desire to, to create this more sustainable way of living and flying. And so, you know, being surrounded by those people and getting to work with them and, and speak with them, um, I just feel incredibly fortunate. And it's, uh, it's a wonderful, exciting time to be in aviation, and I'm, I'm happy to be part of it. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I never thought of myself being in the aerospace industry. I, I started working with electric power systems two and a half years ago, almost three years ago. They needed a technician fabricator down on the operations floor and I'm like well I know how to build stuff I, I put things together but when I started working there and I saw the passion of the people that I work with and the passion of what we're doing in aerospace yeah I was hooked I'm yeah. hooked now it's uh it's a lot of fun and it just makes such a such a difference you know when you love your job and it's surrounded by people who love their job and and you're all working towards a goal and excellence and making things better it's uh yeah amazing i couldn't have said it better so thank you very much for being on here we are august for for the aviation renaissance podcast august is all women in aviation so that's when this episode will come out super cool and i can't thank you enough for being here oh my pleasure all right. Thanks for having me. Of course. So that's going to wrap up this one. Um, if you like what you hear, link, subscribe. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Go to our website, www.epsenergy.com. And if you like what you hear, please leave a comment and recommend this to your friends and family. Thank you.